0: G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane. I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Would you please call to mind um, an experience that I suspect you've had? I hope each of us can muster one of these up. Um, let me describe what I'm reaching for. Would you please recall a time in your life... Where you had to confront a reality that you felt grossly inequipped to face. A moment where you felt, "Man, I'm not, I'm not ready for this one. Um, I didn't see this coming. Perhaps. I don't know if I've got what it takes this time. Um, I can't do this." Have you had one of those experiences? Can you call one to mind? I wonder. Um, This might seem a trivial example. I remember um, I once turned up to school after around about two weeks off sick. I can't remember what sickness I had, but gosh, I remember turning up to school because on that day we were being tested on the material that the class had covered in the preceding two weeks. (laughs) I don't need to tell you how that went. I remember uh, for one friend of mine, I remember the phone call that I got from him one night, one of my best friends. He'd just discovered that his partner of nearly a decade... Had been going behind his back for months now Um, and he was blindsided by the whole thing, he didn't see it coming, I'm not ready for this. Um, I'm reminded of moments of loss as well, that you don't know how to face, you don't know what to say, Um, sudden or untimely loss in particular, uh, that numbness, that disbelief, the inability to make sense of now, let alone to be thinking of what lies ahead. I'm reminded of people who I know and love, whose ability to live independently as they've aged has diminished um, in just the normal way, and that creeping realisation, almost like a slow-burning panic, if that that sounds like a contradiction, but it gnaws at their sense of who they are and whether they've got what it takes anymore. And the family are hounding them, um, and on it goes. Here's the question, has life ever confronted you with a reality that you feel grossly inequipped to deal with, to face? Let me explain why I ask, because I think it's that sense of vulnerability that we need to bring as we read these words um, to Israel here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord speaking to Israel with, with what is an enormous command to them, see, I have given you this land, go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore He would give to your fathers. See, I've given it, go, go in and take it. It's a colossal command. It's with that sense of, so vulnerability, but it's also with that sense of reality. This was real life for them and it's that sense of real life that I think we need to, uh, it's with that sense of real life that we need to figure out how to relate to God's words sometimes pretty challenging words, um, in our own lives as sometimes difficult to hear um, things come up from that word, difficult to do things are um, God's call to us. And so vulnerability, a sense of reality, it's with that sense of rawness that I think we need to ask that whole question of how Jesus confronts us, yes, but also comforts us. Um, in the here and now. So can we please pray as we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1 with those things in mind. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we approach your word this morning with a confession. We confess that too often we read your word merely out of habit because it's what we've always done or out of bare obligation because... It's what we've got to do or it's the right thing to do. And yes, Lord, those things are true. It is a a good habit to be in your word. We ought to read it. It is the right thing to do. But Father, we confess that too often we stop there. And rather than thirsting after a clear and a fresh word from the God of heaven to your people on earth, a word to challenge us, a word to spur us on toward godliness that's beautiful and yet difficult, wonderful, and yet costly. Instead, Father, too often we've let ourselves be satisfied with just hearing the words, almost being rocked to sleep by their familiarity, comforted by their sameness. So, our God in heaven, may we learn today, please, from your tender hand, to meditate on this lesson of yours to us, to chew it over. Give us courage, Lord, to be strong and courageous, when it comes to living your way in the world, whatever the cost and in imitation of our dear Lord Jesus, our great Saviour and it's in His name that we ask it, Amen. Now, would you please just cast your minds back in your own history, would you please uh, cast your mind back to a time when you were young and I mean really young, so young in fact, before you knew any better, that you saw mum and dad as all-knowing as all-wise, you've got to go a fair way back for that, don't you? As, as sort of almost all-powerful, um, those years where they seemed to just, they knew their way around things, they seemed to know everything. Uh, for most of us, I think those were years where, sure, mum and dad were never perfect, but they were almost godlike in their wisdom, in their power, in their influence, in their stamina. They could keep going even when my legs are so, you know, just even in the little things. Um, They always seem to know what to do when you're stumped. They've seen it before, they've faced it before and so they help you out. When you're in a spot, they're the ones who were there to pull you out of it Um, and as much as we might hate to admit it, they were usually right as well, well which we discovered the hard way of course when we'd gone our own way and then we were reluctant to kind of admit that yes, okay, all that. Can I say, we look today as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 1, on a speech designed to savage that misapprehension for the present generation of Israelites who are being spoken to here, Moses in this passage is going to burst the bubble, burst that bubble for this new generation of Israelites because we rejoin the story of Deuteronomy not only with a cutting accusation of mum and dad's greatest failure but also with a call To action, right here and now, for the Israelites in the story. Uh, And here it is, don't let history repeat itself. You're standing in mum and dad's shoes now, don't let it go the same way. Um, Could we take a look at Moses' words, to this generation, camped in Moab, so still outside the Promised Land, but as they look back in their memories, as they recollect about mum and dad's generation, and their experience down at Horeb, at Mount Sinai, this truly blessed and vast and plentiful generation, yes, but this, chapter 1, verse 5, come with me. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, okay, remember, outside the Promised Land, across the border, just across the border, this present generation. So, east of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying the Lord our God said to us, and he now means the parents' generation, said to us at Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain, break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites, go to all the neighbouring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I've given you this land, go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore He would give your fathers to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and to their descendants after them. Can you see? it, Mum and dad, go and don't stop until the Euphrates... If you've got a picture of the Middle East in mind, you remember the Red Sea and how that kind of branches out in this V at the top of it, the Sinai Peninsula in the middle there, they're down there, right down there in Horeb in Sinai and the the instruction is go and they're to go kind of all the way up. As far as the Euphrates, that's like modern Syria, almost Turkey. Go, you see, mum and dad's generation. I promised, so go and take possession. Um, Just for a touch of um, reality, added reality for them. Remember, these are people living in tents. So, sure, if we got that instruction, go. We're thinking about, oh gosh, but I live in a bricks and mortar house. You know, how is that even going to work? No, these people lived in tents. The instruction was go and the expectation was you go. They were told to go. Take a look, verse 19. Skipping over a little bit. Verse 19. Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful desert that you've seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea, a town on the south of the promised land. Uh, Then I said to you, Moses speaking to the people of Israel, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land, go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your fathers told you, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. How often is it true that when we're asked to do a really hard thing, that we do the easy bit? <laughs> we do the first bit, makes it look like we're making progress, makes it look like we're on the right track, uh, we'll do the easy bit first that doesn't cost us very much but in the anatomy of rebellion. That is being described here, then comes the stalling, the stalling, keep reading, do you see it as stalling? Verse 22, then all of you, the people of Israel, came to me, Moses, and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take in the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, Moses, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe, they left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. If you remember the story from Numbers, slightly selective retelling that Moses is giving us here. Is it fair, do you think, from that, is it fair to call that stalling? What do you think? Um, What do you reckon? On the one hand, it's just smart tactics, isn't it? I mean, blunder on in there um, and who knows what kind of a mess is going to unfold if you just blunder into the land. Send some spies, it just makes sense. Be sensible, play it smart. But I'll tell you why, two reasons why I'm confident that they're stalling, culpably, rebelliously, can I be stronger, wickedly so. Verse 22, here was their question, verse 22 they asked, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route. Let us send men to bring back a report, those two things. Let's take the second one first, firstly the report, The spies brought back an awesome report about the land and the people didn't want a bar of it. So, uh, was that enough? Verse 26, chapter 1, verse 26, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart, they say. The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anarchites there. Um, As a dad, I see it as my responsibility to tell my children every now and again, I've told you a million times not to exaggerate. But second, so there's the report which they ignored, but second, and I think more tellingly, what did they say? They said, let us send men Ahead. The thing is, Israel had someone who went ahead of them. Uh, And he doesn't hate them, and he doesn't plot their demise. No, he searches out life for them. So here's the portrait of this supposedly beastly God who plots their downfall that they might die by the Amorites in the wilderness. Take a look at verse 32 of chapter one. In spite of this, verse 32, in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who, what does it say? Who went ahead of you on your journeys, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way that you should go. Can you see the rebellion forming before our very eyes as they stubbornly refuse May I just make a side note here? I think what we're seeing among Israel in this anatomy of rebellion against God was a way of framing God's difficult commands as deadly demands. God's difficult commands as deadly demands. He wants us dead. He's dragged us out here to die by the sword, do you see? God's difficult commands go in and take possession as deadly demands. Now, at at the risk of over-dramatising, may I gently warn us? Because I fear that from time to time we hear amongst us, don't we? Perhaps even from our own mouths, we hear amongst us a similar note. A similar note is struck, even today, even amongst us, it is a challenge to, I think, hear the hard words of God humbly, Um, Have we ever made, for example, God's call on our lives out to be a life-denying, joy-sapping, kind of soul-crushing demand, do you see? Specifically, I I think we sometimes skate pretty close to this edge, haven't we, at times, um, in the area of our sexual ethics, uh, broadly speaking, so have we perhaps spoken as if God's call um, for chastity, um, that, you know, as in no sex, Have we perhaps spoken as if God's call for chastity outside of marriage or before marriage or for those who are never married or for those outside of heterosexual marriage? Have we spoken as if that call for chastity must somehow be incompatible with a God who loves us, inconceivable from one who desires life for us, who promises us blessing and fullness Do you see the switch that we make? It's to put a good and normal appetite for sex, do you see, above the God who created it to be used in his design and ultimately to his praise. Now, I appreciate that I've just touched on a whole bunch, you know, I've opened a whole bunch of can of worms. All of those are longer conversations, the various pastoral issues in there. And they're the stuff of powerful and deep emotions and drives within us. But I guess that's, in a sense, why I'm raising it. We're dealing with hard and challenging and confronting words from God. Isn't that what Israel found in the wilderness? Go in and take possession. For them, it was life and death, quite literally. A difficult command of the word reframed as a deadly demand. Back at verse 30, the Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until he reached this place. We need to beware, friends, framing God's word in such a way that his character is somehow other than the Lord God who is father to us, who would carry us, the Lord God who would send his son to save sinners like us. Now, from here, from here, it's a long chapter, isn't it? Deuteronomy chapter 1. I don't plan to cover every single verse. I think the outlines, are clear enough, it was read very well to us by Marion this week, by Ruth last week. I suspect we remember much of it. So, God, what did God do? God pronounced a curse over that entire generation, didn't He? Um, you'll never get in. You'll be barred from the promised land, your generation the mum and dad generation. On top of that, he commanded them, so he, he pronounced a bar on them, a, 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 um, a, an exclusion for them, but then he gave them a command as well, to leave Kadesh, to go a different route. Effectively, they'd see out their days treading water as they raised their children, who would then go on to enjoy the land that they longed for, desired and uh, would take up the promises made of old to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, those covenant promises. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 35, not a man of this evil generation, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your forefathers and down at verse 40, but as for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Uh, Now that, suddenly they see it, mum and dad's generation suddenly see it, is a fate worse than their fear of death So, by the Amorites. So despite God's warning them, they decide to take up arms and they want to go in anyway. Now how does that go for them? Verse 44, the Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you and you stayed in Kadesh many days, all the time you spent there. And remember, all this is said by old man Moses to the children, now adults. I want you to look back at the failings of mum and dad. Let not history be repeated. I'm setting before you today rebellion or repentance. I'm setting before you a reality that that explains why you're not already across the river, living the good life in the good land That your parents so longed for. Sometimes the commands of the Lord are hard and you don't know if you've got what it takes, go in and take possession of the land. How much harder when you know mum and dad didn't have what it takes, didn't get it right. Mum and dad faced the same decision and they stuffed it, they were tried and found wanting and now you're there. In some ways, it reminds me of that process that we go through, those of us who are parents. When you become a parent and you you start failing as a parent, as parents do, and you start seeing your own failings then reflected back to you in the words that your children say to you, the behaviours that they've learnt from you and you can see it now in someone other than yourself, it gives you a certain level of compassion towards your parents in their failings, doesn't it? But folks, would you please come across with me? So we're going to leave for now. We're going to leave the Israelites um, just outside the promised land facing that decision, repentance or, or uh, rebellion. Would you please come across with me to Matthew's gospel and to Jesus in the desert being tempted, facing a decision? Because as we head towards us today, let me give you four reasons why I reckon what Jesus is doing here in the desert when he's tempted by the devil is rewriting human failure for us. Come with me to Matthew chapter 4. Would you please do that with me, uh, if you're following along? Matthew chapter 4, big number 4 in the text, um, and little number 1, starting at the very start of that chapter. Come with me there. Four reasons why I reckon we're supposed to see Jesus rewriting human failure for us. Reason number 1 is just the setting, actually. It's got to be deliberate, doesn't it? He's out there, where is he? He's in the desert. How long is he out there for? 40 days and nights. Um, not unlike the 40 years of the wilderness wanderings. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, where? Into the desert, to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Right? There's reason number one, I reckon, was to see Jesus reframing human failure from the time of the Exodus for us, reliving it, reframing it. Reason number two, who is it that seems bent on Jesus' death here and who appeals to keep Him alive? Take a look, we've already seen it's the Spirit who led Him into this desert place. Now, verse 3, the tempter came to Him, came to Jesus and said, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. All right, you see who seems to be looking after His life trying to keep him alive versus, by implication, who has brought him out here to destroy him? Do you see? He brought us out here to kill us, to sap our joy, to crush our souls. Uh, Reason number three, where Israel heard the Lord's commands as deadly demands. Jesus, do you notice this, perhaps from your footnotes, you might need to have a look in your Bible, Jesus takes words from Deuteronomy from the desert experience of Israel. Every single one of his answers to the devil is a quote from Deuteronomy and shapes his life to them, finds his life in living in obedience to the commands that God had given to the people of Deuteronomy back there in the desert. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus answered, here's just the first example, Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Last little detail, last reason I think Jesus is reframing human failure for us and reliving it for us, uh, but in obedience. Lastly, is a detail I haven't noticed before. What do you make of verse 11? Take a look at that with me, verse 11. Here's my hunch, I think it shows us that Satan was almost right, almost right. Jesus would have died out there, he wouldn't have made it, he would have perished in the desert. The difference between Jesus and us is that he held God's word dear to the very end. Uh, he'd rather perish in the desert than live some shadow of a life if it meant rebelling against God. Look at how close to the end he got. Chapter 4, verse 10 uh, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 11 Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. I reckon he was at the end. I reckon he needed angels to sustain him because in his allegiance to the Word of God, it had carried him to the brink. Is that what we're supposed to read there? The question for us is, do I prize obedience to my Jesus so highly as to be willing to go to the point of collapse? You see Jesus reliving the desert experience of Israel and living it in perfection. But as we move towards a conclusion then, let me just give us one last nudge because I'm a little anxious that I might have given you the wrong impression as we, as we come to Jesus. Here's where we started. Would you please recall for me a time in your life where you had to confront something that you felt grossly inequipped for? A moment where you thought, man, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not cut out for this. I can't do this anymore. I haven't got what it takes. Uh, the griefs obviously, um, the relationships that are falling apart around you, friendships that have gone south sometimes, the sack, mental health, a diagnosis, some other loss or crisis, uh, even just the small ones, (laughs) I didn't mean that as a pun but even sometimes it is, just the small ones in our lives who evoke that feeling of hopelessness Here's the thing, does the experience of Christ Jesus in the wilderness, Him triumphing over the devil, Him succeeding even to the point of collapse in obedience to His Father, does that exacerbate your feelings of loss, of isolation, of I'm alone and now God expects, look at the standard that He expects from us. Jesus did it good for Him, what about me? Or does it take you in this direction? Can we please come, can we please close with this little passage, just a couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 4 and then we'll pray. The thought is this, Jesus went there for us into the wilderness, He went there ahead of us, He went there to go ahead of us that He might be with us, that He might succeed for us and that He might be with us um, even now. Hebrews chapter 4, And verse 4, if you're following along, I'll just give you a moment to find that. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, sorry, Hebrews 4, 14. We find ourselves not alone in this life, dwarfed by the standard of Jesus and his obedience. We find something else altogether. Chapter 4, verse 14 of Hebrews, Therefore, since we have a great high priest... It's talking about Jesus. Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence... So that what? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, too often we confess we, when faced with an enemy that we feel we can't face, a challenge that we, we don't know what to do with, a command that we almost cannot bear to follow... We confess these words, these thoughts have crossed our hearts and even our our lips. I can't, I won't, I don't have what it takes. Lord God, we think back to our Lord Jesus and not just his example, but his promise to be with us. We confess that we've spoken too hastily, that we can't or we won't or we don't have what it takes, Father, for we have a great high priest who can sympathise with us, who is there in the thick of it with us, And so instead, Father, we now appeal to you for grace and mercy. Though everything may fall away and crumble, our very life ebb away from us as Christ did in the desert and eventually fully did at the cross. We appeal to you, our God, that we might find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. This week, Father, and yes, even in the little things, battles on the home front that cause us to want to tear our hair out, the frustrations at work where godliness seems very difficult to muster, Lord, may we lean on your word as a good and a life-giving word from a Father who loves us, who would carry his sons and daughters. Father, may we lean on your word lest we turn aside in rebellion in accusation of you, our good and loving Father. We ask all this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.